Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dene. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter and we'll bring you joy. Welcome to the first big interview Q&A for 2020 where our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and our sponsors at Bet365 get to grill Graham on football issues that have been exercising their minds. If you want to submit questions, get all of the audio versions of Graham's columns for ESPN and get an extra full length big interview every month, sign up to become a socio at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Graham, I'm going to start with some Barca-related questions, as that's probably the subject you've been talking and writing about most in the past month. Um, if anyone's not up to speed, we're talking about the sacking of Ernesto Valverde earlier this month and his immediate replacement with Kike Setien. Uh, in the latest match of the weekend, Barca lost 2-0 to Valencia. So let's start with socio Ian Body, who says, Graham, the curse of the Winter Champions returns, no doubt helped by the panic action of Bartomeu and co after the last 10 minutes of the ridiculously formatted Supercopa this year what now for Barca is it back to the 1980s again oh Bods that's a that's a huge question and and don't forget that of course they they uh, they won the title for the first time in about 17 years in the 1980s and reached the first ever European Cup final so let's specify our seasons and to be honest with you one of the you know probably the most horrific period in Barca's modern history actually came in the in the 70s when they couldn't win the title or between 99 and 2000 and hold on what's six years must be 2005 when they won no trophy whatsoever it's 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 an odd expression that because it seems so fresh to me because it's when I moved over I would say, and rather than will they go back to the 80s will they go back to 99 2000 2001, 2002, 2003, because things, they were, you know, they were ragdoll. They were a ragdoll football team then, um, which they are not yet. Um, it's always been my opinion that you have to respect a club's right to sell a player, buy a player, sack a manager, because no matter how close we all get, whether devoted fans or, or really, you know, professional, assiduous broadcasters or storytellers we, we don't know how the club is run we there are certain things we can't know we can give you a very big insight as to a, a large swathe of the mentality of the finances of the football philosophy of the mood but i i i always hesitate strongly at saying well it's just outright wrong or or they have no uh uh, they have no authority to sack that person. What you can do is you can disagree, you can analyse. So I, I didn't think, I really didn't think, the embarrassment of Anfield 
was so wholly Valverde's fault that he, he needed to be automatically to be sacked. Nor the loss in the cup final without Suarez. What I thought was that, even back then, was that there was a shared responsibility between the senior players in the squad and Valverde. Because had he been damned in the summer and had the club gone to him and said, look, we'd like you to walk away, please, or we'll have to sack you, or don't you think, Ernesto, this is a natural break? It would have stemmed from the very things that made him successful. So when he came in and he saw Neymar disappear out the other door and he wasn't allowed to buy... Danny Parejo and the players persuaded him not to sign Inigo Martinez. He took the very reasonable view that he was inheriting a hard-nosed senior squad who were very good at winning. And he took the, the strategic decision that he would work hand-in-glove with them. He would dovetail with them. So rather than saying, I'm in now, it's Ernesto's way or nothing, he kind of ran largely a consensus. And... You know, he was praised for it at the time. Messi, from nearly week one, um, enjoyed working under Valverde. He ran a pretty happy training ground. And although they lost, it, I think it, it does us all well to remember that in the lead-up to Anfield, you know, they were about a goal away from a treble. The league was won, um, albeit that I, I made my views very clear in the in the video I sent from Camp Now after the first leg against Liverpool, that in my opinion it should have been five or six three Liverpool, and Liverpool had had lost a game that I, I in my working career I'd very rarely seen a more unjust result than Barca three Liverpool. No, nonetheless, I thought that Messi would be enough to to get the away goal that would ruin the tie, and uh, he played brilliantly that night at Anfield. He was the only Barcelona player that even resembled himself. But had they scored at Anfield at 0-0 at or 1-0 or 2-1, I think their away goal probably ends up putting them through. I think in that instance, they win the Champions League, in my opinion. I think in that instance, the, the mood is such that they win the cup. It will stick with me how close they came to winning the club's third treble. Nobody, no other club has more than one. So at that stage, that would have been the grown-up time to say, it's probably time for refreshing. It's time now to turn the page. They didn't do that. And therefore, you know, the way in which they'd lost to Athletic is, at San Mames is the club's fault. They, they programmed a ridiculous, and I mean an infantile training summer, um, in, in a summer where, you know, there's several players returning from international tournaments. Messi got himself injured. The, the preseason was atrocious, literally atrocious, not Valverde's fault. But then the defeats at um, Levante, at Granada, um, some of the away performances in Prague, um, in Dortmund, uh, for parts of the Espanol game, for parts of the game at Osasuna. And then I watched Valverde at 2-1 up, the crucial 2-1 up in the derby against the bottom club. And De Jong gets sent off for 15 minutes and he takes off Griezmann and leaves the static Suarez and Messi up front in a 4-3-2 um, formation when the obvious thing was to take off one of Suarez and Messi, neither of whom would have objected. Um, there might have been a bill to pay afterwards, but in game terms, you leave Griezmann on, you play him in the left midfield, you play 4-4-1. Uh, um, Valverde then didn't bring on Ansu Fati for the remaining striker, 
to, to, to make sure that they had pace and harassment so that Espanyol couldn't play out from the back. They leave a space down um, Espanyol's right, Barca's left. Espanyol attacked down there a couple of times before they eventually scored the equaliser and could have won. And it was game mismanagement on a, on a rank scale. Valverde is not a bad man, not a bad coach. He was burned out, literally burned out. The way in which they then went on to toss away uh, the match against Atleti in one of the most bizarre matches you'll ever see because Barcelona actually performed one of their best games of the season and two goals get ruled out. One of them might have been legitimate to be ruled out. The other one I think should have stood. Uh, again, with 15 minutes to go and 2-1 up, but this time with 11 men on the pitch, not only can't Barca defend, they don't reorganise to say, we'll hold on to this at any cost. Um, the manager isn't involved in saying, this is how I want to play these last 15 minutes in light of what happened at the weekend against Espanyol. And what I saw was a man who was burned out to the extent that the club was no longer getting the best of Valverde. So however you, Ian, view the, the, the firing, one, the manner in which it was handled was utterly disgraceful publicly going to see Xavi uh, for something that then Bartomeu blamed Xavi for it coming out, the, the jackass. Um, you know, they, they could have sorted that out by the fo- on, on the phone. Instead, there was a delegation there for several days trying to persuade him. It was really big news in Qatar, therefore the news reached here. What did they think was going to happen? They then phoned Koeman. They then tried Pochettino because he's very close to one of the board members. Pochettino said, I'd rather go and work on my farm again than coach Barcelona. Was it some sort of pantomime performance deliberately meant to make them look stupid? Because there's no other explanation. It undermined Setien hugely because the players knew that he was at best fourth choice. Now, when you go into a sharp pond, the number one thing you don't want to do is, is have a bleeding cut. But, you know, they they, def, they definitely gave Setien a couple of paper cuts. And over these days, these crucial days, when he's asking the players not to not to run without the ball and, and, and do sprints and jogs and go 10K runs, it's not that change. But the change is in, in intensity exercise by exercise. No dawdling between exercises. Um, all the drills performed with a harder edge, a quicker edge. And everybody who's played any kind of sport knows that if you increase the level of every single thing, every single day, you can augment your your efficacy, your sharpness, your mental sharpness, your the the understanding between players. You can tone players. You can you can literally get them fitter. But while you're doing it, particularly in mid season, there's a gigantic risk. A gigantic risk of players looking you know, tired and, and and being mentally weary until the, the boost kicks in. Kike Setien has been using his theoretical idea of how best to, to have Barca line up and, and they're not capable. I, wrote, I don't want to be already claiming credit um, when, you know, for, for the benefit of all of us who watch football, it would be better if things turn out well. But I pointed out that, that Kike Setien's massive task wasn't to reteach um, footballers how to play Cruyff or Guardiola ideas, but to to convince them that it was worth the sacri- the daily sacrifice in order to be able to do it. Because the movement that you need in pressing or in pass options in and, and the speed of thought you need to make the ball fly 
in the right way, not just move quickly, but move quickly in the right way. This le that level of stamina and energy, Barcelona don't have and haven't had for a long time. So he's come in to a situation which is invidious. He's inherited players um, who are, I think are, are not currently equipped to play the brand of football he wants. And in retuning them, he runs the risk that there are, you know, a, a few weeks of performances as flat as the one against Granada where the, the ethos was right and they won. Um, or the one against Ibiza where they should have been knocked out of the cup by a third division team had it not been for Griezmann's nose for goal. And a game like Mestalla when losing 2-0 was, they, sh they should be, you know, at the end of the beds kneeling and praying and thanks because it was a 4-5-0 game. So going forward, Ian, um, I think the issues include, is there anything left in Luis Suarez? They miss him brutally for all the difficulties he was having physically. Um, he stood out as um, ultra, ultra smart and competitive and his loss on the pitch is gigantic. Um, they're utterly, at the moment, utterly reliant on Vidal to break lines, to move with Messi, to give goal threat, and to, to imbue the team with the competitive spirit that they've had since basically it clicked for Frank Rijkaard. Then going forward, do I... Like, what I know is that they are... Now, whether they fannied about it and pretended to sign Neymar to try and keep Messi happy last year, the, the fact is they're going to throw the kitchen sink at Neymar in the summer. They're currently, as you know, negotiating for Rodrigo to get um, Neymar. They don't have the money for it. It can only work if they're if they're including Griezmann or Dembele in the in the move. But if I look at the, their their weakness in certain positions. There's a lot of intelligent trading to do, n not to restore some sort of Guardiola-level football, and I'm talking about that era rather than him, the player. The, one, Setien's got to survive to the end of the season because right now I'm not, I, I think it's in the balance, as it often is when a new manager comes in, about whether the group are going to buy into him or not. His personality, his messages, the brand of football he wants, all of those do definitely dovetail with what large parts of this squad have been developed to play. But the utter change in mentality and behaviour, because the senior players in this consensus era with Valverde set a tone whereby they began incrementally to believe that they were just simply so good so full of know-how, so tough mentally, that even though they, they were gradually reducing um, the the training level from what it should be every day, boiling hot, boiling hot. If any of you listen to the big interview, then one of the massive themes across the entire series, Martin, I don't know how many interviews, but I'm going to make up a number now. But let's say we've done 90 interviews. Those players who have been, or managers, who've been serial winners, and who stand out, will say to us, without exception, the the sessions that we trained were tougher than the games we played in, or the, the Friday kick-up, or the England v Scotland game. It doesn't have to be a physical, brutal atmosphere, but we hear stories of squads who trained as if it was, it was going to be their last day on earth, 
even if there was a massive game coming up 24 hours later. Barcelona's temperature was reduced from that boiling hot to tepid on a day-by-day basis, month-by-month. Nobody cheating, nobody skiving off, nobody not turning up, nobody saying, I'll just take a day in the gym. But the, the temperature just went down sufficiently that you noticed the difference. And they were, you know, able to get by in, in games, particularly home games, because it's a squad full of extraordinary talent and determined men. So, you know, the Sac Valverde was turning up fours and fives at home all this season. Right now, um, while the players process the change under Setien, you know, they've had one narrow late win, um, another narrow late win against a third division side, and they've been pumped against Valencia. Now, I, I don't imagine that it will be a, a, a complete collapse and a, a total downhill spiral because if Setien's mm, hmm, regime and ideas both click with this group, then it, it could be fun to watch and it could be quite exciting. Um, but in the meantime... The manner in which this has been allowed to develop and the manner in which the board handled the change it really has been, the only word for it is inept. And beyond this summer, Ian, I, I'd, I'd be a liar if I said this will happen or that will happen because we've got elections in 21. Um, the, the budget is, is, is bust. You know, they've, they've spent too much. They've repayments to make. They're going to have to trade players. They're going to have to borrow money like they did against Griezmann. They are, you know, they're, they're late already on a 600 million reworking of the camp now. They, you, you, I'm not saying Bartomeu, whose ego is gigantic and who's done good things in his time. There's no question that he's done some good things. I'll, I'll name one, the... The reconciliation, this, the, the fertile and, and really positive reconciliation with the entire Cruyff family, that for a man who was Bartomeu's mate and running mate is, is extraordinary. However, they're in such a mess. It has been, particularly in the Catalan media and in the international media, I think it's been really undercovered exactly what a mess this club could be in right now if, if they take if they take a couple of bad breaks between now and May, things could get very, very, very messy indeed. And they don't have all the resources we naturally associated with this, this club, La Masia, the squad. So uh, right now, Ian, my old chum, things are on a knife edge. Yeah, I mean, I think the the next couple of um, social questions are related, and I think you've kind of touched on this already in, in the the kind of wider issues that are at stake here beyond simple simple recruitment. But uh, I'll throw them to you anyway. Um, we've got Miles Channels and Julian Ball Rodriguez. Miles first up says, "What is the word uh, on potential replacements for Luis Suarez, and what are your views on an ideal player to bring in for its worth?" I believe Lacazette could work. Also, the timing of Timo Werner's contract expiry might work quite nicely and Julian asks adds how much of a miss do you think Suarez will be for Barca and is Griezmann ready to fill in well Miles Miles and Julian um, it's just such a patchwork of things to say there so let me try and be more swift than I was um, or more efficient than I was with uh, Ian's answer first of all I know um, that they spoke to Aubameyang in this market because Aubameyang then started phoning 
his contacts in Barcelona, one of whom is a friend of mine. And they had a phone call where Obama Yang said, look, Barca seem to want me. I want to go there. Um, I've only got one year left of my contract. I think it's doable. What will it be like for me? Now, I, I didn't see how on earth Arsenal could let that guy go um, in mid-season, but because he's at the moment uh, not likely to renew, whether it's from Arsenal's point of view or, or Alba's wholly, the idea was from Barcelona that they would get, they would um, some cash plus Rakitic. Now that, that Rakitic, I'm still 100% certain, doesn't want to go. Um, his his wife doesn't want to go anywhere further north. Um, she's from Seville, and and it really matched to her the temperature. And um, Rakitic is a happy man at, at with his contract. So Alba, I think, won't happen. And as we're speaking now, one thing that's true is that. Uh, they're pretty close to Rodrigo. Whether it comes off in the end, I don't know, but Valencia desperately need money. Um, their debt and their debt servicing means that before summer, not during the summer market, I think in order to not be in deep, deep uh, trouble, they have to yield somewhere in the region of 40 or 50 million. Now... Um, I think that they would have to, but Barcelona don't have, I, in my opinion, let's see how it pans out. By the time you listen to this, maybe there'll be hard news on Rodrigo from Valencia. But I think he's the, the right type of player. I know him personally from interviews and from little chit-chats around the training ground when I, I've been um, able just to say, hi, good morning, how are you, what do you think? He, he's a, he's the, exactly the type of character. Um, um, always bouncy, um, always very fit, hard trainer, um, extremely athletic and talented. Undoubtedly, his, the, his goal tally goes up or down depending on where he's played on the pitch, depending on what kind of mood, not in mood, but what, what kind of confidence he's feeling in front of goal. But whenever his goal tally goes up, goes down, his work rate goes up. He's extremely fast. Pace is something that Barcelona uh, lack. He's an intuitive player. He's a big assist giver. I can fully understand why Rodrigo uh, might have three or four um, successful seasons at Football Club Barcelona. Again, I've had decent information that I f- fully believe that Barcelona are committed to saying to Messi, see, we brought you Neymar this time. I wouldn't be surprised if Messi was thinking about leaving this summer. He can leave for free. Um, I'm judging that based on how he looks, how he's behaving. He looks um, shriveled mentally. Um, The ball's bouncing off him. He's having his pocket picked in possession all the time. Uh, Teams are targeting him. And he's not reacting, and it's been that way since since the first game in December. We're two months into one of the, irrespective of his goal against Atleti, his goal against Alaves, his hat-trick against Mallorca, th- this is one of the least satisfying, least impressive spells of Messi I can remember since he was constantly injured back in 2007, 2008. There's, there's something's up. Now, I'm not saying he's leaving, but I'm, I am saying I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was now saying, listen, is this, is this 
while they thrash about trying to solve their problems, is this where I want to spend the last couple of great years of my career? And is there any chance of me winning the Champions League here? That's a debate that, even though he says he owes um, Barca a lot, that's a debate that he, he... it would be infantile if him and if he and those around him do, aren't having that debate. Even if they say, nah, bollocks, I'm staying. Fine, this is me. Fine, fine. You know, all the better for us in this country and La Liga. But, um, you know, the decisions about, you know, who comes in transfer market-wise, whether Suarez has a life at, at Camp Nou once his, um, his meniscus is fixed for the third time uh, since he joined Barcelona... You know, you'd you'd wonder Inter Miami are desperate to have Suarez. Desperate. You know, I could imagine that. You know, this might be the moment. I, I I don't know for sure, but once he's fit, again, minds will turn to as much as he's been missed already and will be missed. Is it is it the right move to recuperate him and count on him having? Another couple of athletes. I think he just turned 33 this month. Again, I haven't checked. That's from memory. So please pardon me if he's only 17. So the array of decisions, um, I think, are interdependent and therefore hard to predict. There is nobody with a... Eric Abidal is somebody that I, I, I wish could impose the right values on the club. Um but let's wait and see. The long and short of it is that it's it's a bit of a mess at the moment. I think on balance, Rodrigo probably happens. By the time you hear this, the market might be closed, and I might have egg on my face. But that's the game. It does. They're very, you know, they're very intense in the negotiations between the two clubs. Rodrigo wants to come, and temporarily, at least, he's the right choice. The one thing I would be doing is I would be repatriating Emerson. Uh, they're 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 part owners of Emerson with Betis, and while again he's young and defensively raw, Semedo has never been top class ever, nor will he be. Junior, pff, they 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 bought the wrong they they bought the wrong wing back when they bought Junior instead of taking Emerson immediately. What I'm trying to say, gentlemen, Julian, uh, Miles, is that their decision making has been all over the place until this this moment now. And I think there's a reasonable likelihood that it continues that way. Okay, Graham, before we end part one, I've got a PS here from Julian who says, I think a big interview with Oscar Garcia at Celta Vigo could be really interesting. What do you think? Is his English good enough for 60 minutes on the big interview? It's a good question. Um, um, I know Oscar really well. In the, the, with the first player... Um, I tried to help and got in contact with when I moved over here was, in fact, Oscar Garcia. Um, we had a mutual friend. Oscar was trying to get a club. Um, he didn't feel his agent was doing very well. Uh, my friend, sat, we sat down for coffee, I think down by uh, the Olympic port. And But in Barcelona, I involved Rob Moore, who's, you know, uh, Christian Pulisic and Victor Wanyama and Benny McCarthy and Stephen Pierre's agent. And we tried for a while. And then eventually Oscar got whatever deal. I can't remember what it was back in 2002. I can't remember. But um, I've stayed in touch. Uh, we share uh, commentary duties. and uh, We work for the same people when he's not in, in full-time employment in football. And therefore we often travel on planes and trains to games together. And I've stayed in touch. Um, I always speak to him in, in Spanish. Um, but I think his English is, is not bad at all. 
um, after time at Brighton and Watford and, and particularly um, a season in Israel where I'm pretty sure I think he won the title. At any rate, he number one, um, I, I know that he takes his coaching and his involvement in Celta Vigo or in any club where he's working very, very seriously indeed. And therefore, the, the, I would have thought this is not the time to be doing it <laughs> at any rate because I, I I don't think it's going well there. I think they have a, a, a very soft underbelly. And right now, although I hope I'm wrong, I have a strong fear that they're going to go down despite possessing some terrific players and, and despite being a squad that should be fighting for top 10 and and you know, a decent cut run. That is not how things are painting at all. And therefore, if you'll excuse me, Julian, I will I will slate that um, for next season because, in my opinion, his head needs to be fully in work rather than what I would do, taking him back to his glory days and asking him about his ultra-talented brother, Roger, who's his assistant coach up at Celta. I, I find Oscar very interesting. Um, he was a very good footballer. And um, let's let's just take it that uh, request duly noted. Absolutely, we have we have got a huge list of potential targets, but it's amazing how often timing is the crucial factor in whether we actually go for someone or not. It's probably as much as availability timing. So. What, what? Julian, what Martin means is that I can be a real pain in the arse about like who I think I should speak to at what given time. No, 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 it's, no. It's fine. It's fine. Fine tuning taken to a Niles Crane uh, level. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Join us after the break for more answers to your questions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the second half of our January Q&A and we're starting back with an audio question from one of our beloved socios, Richard Cosmala. Buenas G, Richard in Huddersfield. Hope you're well, mate. I just wondered if you could give me your views on VAR and in particular why it seems to have been a bit of a disaster in the Premier League. Is it purely because of the way they've implemented it or is it something else? To me, it just seems to be about the offsides and the controversy about them. In the Spanish League, seems to be a lot better, although we had a, an issue with Atafi and Betis with the inconsistencies yesterday. Are you happy with how it's gone in the Spanish League? And if you could change anything about it, what would you do? Cheers, mate. Super cause. Um, always a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, definitely our most widely football-travelled socio. Unbelievable appetite for getting to uh, not only Huddersfield games, but La Liga games and Cup games and Segunda games. So, super cause. Um, this operation respects you and uh, salutes you. I think, first of all, when when... As broadcasters at La Liga Television, when VAR was introduced in Spain, we were told that there were certain fundamental things that 
wouldn't change. And one was that it will always be the pitch referee's final decision. That no matter what he's told from Las Rosas, which is Spain's version of Stockley Park, where there's a committee of oh, people overlooking decisions, um, the referee would have ultimate responsibility always, and that was untouchable. That meant that the referees in Spain have never been either banned from, as it is the case or was the case in England for a ludicrous amount of time, uh, or or never dissuaded from going to their monitor. Now, if we if we agree that video assisted refereeing can be helpful to justice and can be handled in a way that makes um, football in certain circumstances less palpably unfair or ludicrous when a referee has been completely unable to spot something or a referee's made a mistake and we have an acceptable means of correcting that. If that's the, and that's what I understand VAR should be about, then the referee seeing the incident he's had his attention directed to is is primordial. It has to be the absolute three-line whip. Now, so you first asked about England. It was very clear that the, the referees in England were being ordered that not to go to the to monitor on an interpretive basis. And if you make one bad decision about like, oh, right, 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 never mind what anyone else is doing, never mind what all the other tests in international football or in other leagues have shown us, we are England. And the game is so fast and everybody was so unforgiving of any delay to the match that the referee can't go to the... So what's the point in having VAR in the first place? If you want to keep the game fast and you're not that bothered about the referee getting it right with the use of video assistance, why introduce it? If it's too much to say, uh, Mike Dean, uh, we think your red card is mistaken. We think that was a penalty. Uh, We think he was offside. Trot over to the screen right now and take a look. Then number one, that the, the number of positive decisions would have gone up because referees would have seen the incident that they've just potentially mishandled or has been out with their sight. The, the list of infractions would be mistaken identity for red card, was it or wasn't a penalty, and was it or wasn't offside, was or wasn't a goal, which they've got other technology for. You know, it's a tight list of things they should be deciding. That, that would have given England, in its debut season with VAR, a large, an immediate larger percent of correct decisions which were defendable and it would have been done at speed because the referee would trot straight over to the screen, had a look. It might still have been difficult. There might still have been arguments about whether he interpreted the video correctly or not, but we wouldn't have had the maelstrom that you've been suffering over there in your game. And to me, it's been, it's been a chimpanzee's tea party. It's been embarrassing to watch. The drawing of lines and, you know, the, the, the front part of his nose is offside. That is infantile. The technology is there to say, does this technology help us make sense of the, the ideal of the law? And the ideal of the law is not what I see some people I normally respect arguing, which is like, well, if the rule says that if any of your part of, part of your body you can score if it's offside, then that must be offside. 
use common sense and say, are we in a situation where, you know, he's clearly half a body ahead? And if that ball, if this whole thing were moved 20 feet forward, and if that half body was still ahead, he'd be able to nod the ball in ahead of the defender and get an advantage. Then we're talking about a, a proportion of the body which matters. Until the, the wording of the law of the game is is altered, touched up, filigreed, there will be a common sense interpretation that will still bring people saying, oh, but um, he was he, he was quarter of a body offside. No, he was half a body. There, was, there wouldn't be perfection. In Spain, VAR has always allowed and, and encouraged the referee to go take a look. I have seen VAR decisions that I outright disagree with. I've seen referees continue to make mistakes. And inevitably, because no matter how this is handled in the 22nd century, there will still be fans or media who say, oh, <laughs> that lot get better VAR decisions than us. That's, that's all just accept, folks. That's, that's coming because we all like a moan. But it has been better in Spain. And there have been instances of proper justice being done where I found it as a, either an appreciator of football or a fan or a commentator, I found it really satisfying. So, Supercause, I do agree with your premise that it's been slightly better over here. It's, it's evident that there have to be reviews and retraining and upgrading as we go forward. But I, I, I was it? I think I saw Michael Oliver going over a screen. I can't remember if it was League or Cup. Um, I think I heard um, Eddie Howe talking about um, probably the last game but one, a review of when his captain was sent off and they ultimately, I think, lost 1-0. In my opinion, that's the first positive step forward to a situation where instead of everybody scratching their, each other's eyes out in pure, rabid stupidity, um, it, it can. there is an ideal in the cricket, which is a different game. So I, I won't make direct comparisons and everything, but we have a review. We can hear the referee on pitch and off pitch talking to each other. It is wrong, outright wrong that there's a Masonic secrecy about what is said between the refereeing panel and the referee. Until that's changed, we will always have conspiracy theories, and I think it's outright wrong. If you hear, not just the commentators, you hear the the VAR panel saying, we, we've got to worry, hold the play, we're worried about offside penalty red card, come to the monitor, the, the referee doesn't talk, the panel are saying, look, this is what we saw, now we'll shut up, it's over to you. The referee will say, I'm looking at it now, I'm seeing this, I see what you spotted, I disagree for this reason, I agree for that reason, we move on, decision taken. It's as simple as anything and it improves the game. Point full stop. Super cause every Q&A needs a question that gets the blood pumping <laughs> and this is a fairly early morning record. Um, we've not even had our third cup of coffee yet but that was the equivalent of a caffeine I'm shot. I'm always like this. <laughs> hey, let's take things down a notch or two um, with a, too late <laughs> with a couple of questions from our sponsors at Bet365 uh, these are related to the phenomenon that is Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp at the moment you've got a bit of a history of Liverpool predictions I think um, so you should be able to state with great confidence 
uh, about this next question. Will Liverpool go unbeaten and break the Premier League points record? I don't care. Um, I think it's unimportant. I think when we have Christmas dinner, we don't talk about like the stuffing or the, the pigs in blankets and say that's enough. We all want tur- we all want turkey, right? That's it. Vegans and vegetarians, we all want full turkey and uh, nut loaf. It's the same thing. The central dish is is what we're in the game for. Everything else is decorative. So if subsequently they can say we got the record points total, we were unbeaten, no competitive man or woman would ever reject solid sterling achievements like that. But they're in it to win it. And, And if you lose that focus on winning for any reason, even a positive reason, it's ultimately a negative. So playing to win, what the, and, and this is what they are doing right now. Jurgen Klopp was 100% right, and the message should be echoed by every serious person who loves football, that, 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 that we, in total, the industry, which includes all of us, we are squeezing the life out of our footballers. And it's wrong because it will do them damage and it will do the quality of the game damage. So his point about we haven't got time to blink, never mind to reschedule a League Cup game against Aston Villa or um, a replay against Shrewsbury. Klopp is managing astonishingly well, given the number of games they've had to play with what I would consider to be an an adequate but not ample squad in in terms of quality a number quality numbers that you know their 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 top eleven is very 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 good but w- without any question the thing that makes them special is that all of their players have for three seasons now been playing at or around nine or ten out of ten and some of them have been playing eleven out of ten performances for. 18, 20 months. Now that's that's not sustainable. And therefore, in my opinion, while there is still a treble um, available to them, their goal is to win the title in the Champions League. Um, you're right that for these sponsors, Bet365, that help us to, to, to have this fun with you, I predicted in, I think I predicted last season that Liverpool would win the Champions League and this August I predicted they'd win the title. And I think uh, I think I was the only one who did. In this instance, my judgment is is probably no better than any of yours, and I, I could probably say it is no better than any of yours. If I've got inside information, or I've had an, an interview, or you know, I've seen something that nobody else has seen, then I'm in a privileged position. I can say, look out, this is what it's going to be like. I watch football like you all watch football, and I think that Liverpool are not teetering. But I think they're exhausted. I think that we are praising them for getting through games that are ultra tight. Uh, and, and that has been the case for some weeks. And what I won't enjoy is if they lose one and if they have a two, three week stutter, everybody, ah, oh, well, it's been coming for weeks. Well, nobody's saying it's coming. Everybody's saying, isn't it brilliant the way that they can pull out a winner, isn't it brilliant, their spirit, their energy, look how many late goals they score. That's all true, but the fact is now, one, 
they are dreadfully overstretched because the schedule imposed on them is, is paying them no respect. And it would be the same if it was Arsenal or, or Manchester United or Man City who'd been at Liverpool's level for the last three seasons. Now, City have obviously been the closest because their repeat title triumph was something was once in a decade. But they haven't had the same either success or demands in Europe because it, it hasn't been their time. But if you look at City's struggles now, their injuries, the the minor, minor feeling of burnout, the way in which they lost those those remarkable games, remarkable in both instances, away to Spurs, home to Spurs. I think City aren't far off. Or let me know, turn it the other way. I, I think Liverpool are, are currently not far off the state that City found themselves in the last few months, which is still really good, but hurting. Uh, um, scrabbling for a third gear when fifth was really in, easy for them in the, in the, in the few months before that. So I, I, I don't, do I think that they'll remain unbeaten? No, I don't. And I don't care. Record points total. Yes, that's feasible. But again, I think it's, I, 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 if I were in charge <clears throat> and if I were a senior player there, I wouldn't be thinking about that. <clears throat> I would be hugely focused in the front of my mind about how do we make this a Champions League and League Double? How? Then secondly, deep, and, and people live like this for all the game at a time nonsense. Jurgen Klopp, his technical team, his transfer team, and some of the senior players who are of an age and know they're going to stay should be and probably will be thinking, how do we maintain this next year again? Not losing focus, but, but measuring what they're doing now against what they're going to have to do again next season. Do we, does it, if, if we, if players begin to be rested now and there's a couple of draws, a couple of defeats, and they still win the title out of sight. They don't get those records, but players begin to get uh, some accumulated mental and physical downtime, which firstly helps them get past Atleti and then get all the way to wherever it is, I think the finals in Turkey again, and, and win there, but also helps them begin to prepare to not come out of the Euro or Copa America this summer absolutely on their knees. That's something that would occupy my planning, my mind, my lateral thinking far more than unbeaten or points total. That, unbeaten in points total is like a speck of dust in the desert compared to doing something like this again next season. Okay, Troops, that's your lot for part one. Thanks, as always, for your questions and listen up for part two coming mañana. Adios, amigos. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.